It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's a non-New Yorker, New Yorker. He has that New York (laughs) whole quality. I just, last week, he was in town. And he's still, still in shape. Still to this to this day, I don't like playing against him. I don't even like standing because standing next to him, I think he's going to elbow me. It's, right. just, it's just it's just what who he is. But he's a he's a good guy. I mean, he used to rough up Jordan back in the day, right? <laughs> and and Michael was mad. Michael didn't understand why they traded Oak. Well, you know why they had to get Bill Cartwright. I guess uh, that was John Sally, one of the funniest guys, a real good player on a very good team in Detroit. Uh, talking about Charles Oakley. Uh, played 19 seasons in the NBA for the Bulls, the Knicks, most importantly, uh, and the Raptors, Wizards, and Rockets. Author of the brand new book, The Last Enforcer, outrageous stories from the life and times of one of the NBA's most fiercest competitors. And I don't think there's anyone who didn't respect Charles Oakley uh, when he was in New York. I had a chance to cover it when I was doing that prestigious job like Sports Phone and New Sport and watch the uh, magnificent Knicks teams that didn't win a championship, but, man, were they good. Charles, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Glad to be on your show. And, uh, yeah, Sally, he was a fun guy. <laughs> it's a lot of story about me and Sally, but, you know, Sally's a hardworking guy, though. I know we got our ups and downs, but uh, I like Sally more than I like Charles Barkley. <laughs> I know. And by the way, yeah, you don't like – Charles Barkley does not understand why you don't like him. Here's what he said. Cut 43. Charles Oakley doesn't like me, which is no big deal. Uh, I don't like him or dislike him. I don't think about him. <laughs> He's not important enough for me to think about. He don't like me. I have no idea why. So why don't you like Charles Barkley? He's not important, so why should I like him? But no, he, he, uh, oh, he think about me. Because he know if he come in the room, I'm in that room, he's going to have to leave that room. So he's thinking about me. Really? Charles, what happened? Yes. What happened? Yes. Well, you know, it go back a long ways when he smacked me on my face when he played for Phoenix. I don't play with people like that. And, you know, yeah, he's had great talent. I understand that. He on TNT talking a lot of smack. And I guess that's what he had to do to be on TV. But um, I talk, I don't talk smack. If I got some aggress you about something, I do that. I mean, like I say, uh, that's Charles Barkley. And, you know, it's cool. I, like I said, if he walk in the room, I'm in the room, he going to leave before me. <laughs> uh, I mean, I watched you play for 10 years. I was able to, at that point, they let the press sit under this basket. So I know how hard you played. And the first time I saw you, Charles, I was doing uh, play-by-play in color for the CW Post basketball team. And Virginia oh, yeah. Union, we played them. <laughs> you were, you were the scorer, and you were like you. I mean, I expected you to average thirty in the NBA, and you had more rebounds. Uh, you were more of a, a, a power forward, but I mean, you were dominant in the middle. And Post was an elite Division Two team. Well, well, you know, in this book, I talk a lot about. But when you came, when I came to the league, you know, you know, Virginia Union, historic by college, I had to adjust. I mean, I'm playing with Michael Jordan and some other scores, so my game wasn't trying to come in, yeah, I'm Division two player of the year, that, that, that. I'm coming to show them I can change my game. I can play with anyone. Right, and you're willing to earn it. You came from a rough neighborhood. You talk about having to take three buses just to get to high school. 
Where did the gumption yeah. go to to go through this? A lot of kids would be like, you know what? I can't afford this, or I'm not going to go for three buses to get to school. Why did you? Why were you determined to get through it and then get to college? I didn't want to let my my grandparents and my mother, all my aunts, and my sisters and brothers. I didn't want to let no one down because you know, I'm getting up and seeing your mother get up and go to work, had to catch two buses herself, and make it sacrifice for the kids, and you know, do better, you know, get. Get something meals on, in the table for us on the weekend. Because basically, when your parents working two jobs, basically you, know, you had the big meal on the weekend, and during the week you had to eat what you can eat. You know. No, I hear you. So you uh, you were Division Two uh, Player of the Year uh, to over two thousand three hundred seventy nine points, uh, sixteen hundred plus rebounds. Did you know you were destined for the NBA? And what was it like being drafted by the Bulls when you were? Well, you know, in the book I talk about. My journey, my journey, I didn't know. At the time, when I was in Cleveland High School, it was, Cleveland was kind of, it was real bad. And so I chose to go to Virginia Union. I, I only came home one time in four years because it was, it was getting to be a bad time. All my friends were getting in trouble, going to jail, on the street, selling drugs. And um, I, I escaped it when I went to college. I didn't want to be close to home. I didn't want to be two hours away. I want to be eight to ten hours away. So I couldn't just drive home on the weekend and see the family. But it was just about going to school. And find new friends, and I did. I found a lot of new friends at Virginia Union. So you get drafted by the Bulls. Uh, what was your first? Uh, what was your first thought about the roster, and why did you hit it off so well with Michael Jordan, who wrote the forward to your book, Charles? What was it about your game that he respected? Matter of fact, talking about Michael Jordan, we just talked this morning. Uh, it was just my uh, awareness that you know, hey. I'm from a small school. I know I have to come in and work. I have to compete every day and show them that I'm. They draft me for a reason. They made the trade for a reason to bring me to Chicago to help build that team. And you know, even though we didn't win a championship, I think that I was something that the foundation. Like I came to New York for the foundation, and I think that when we get a foundation, then you knew Chicago was going to win sooner or later. But I, unfortunately, I, I wasn't there. But, uh, you know, you can know they was going to win a championship because Michael was peaking in his game. They got Scott and Horace, and you see the chemistry that started coming together. Yeah, and then we watched the last dance again and wondered what you thought. So you, you missed the championship run, but you brought him to the doorstep, got traded to the Knicks, and right. then battled the Bulls the whole time. Here's Patrick Ewing talking about you. Cut 41. The coaches around the league are starting to give him the, the recognition that he deserves and uh, um, the respect that he deserves. Um, I think he's definitely one of the best power fours in the game. That was him when playing. But were you you were not enamored with Patrick. Would, would you think that's accurate, that you, you you saw there were times when he, he was not as dominant, that he was in college, and you thought the effort was sometimes lacking? I think he, uh, in his book I talk about, you know, just, hey, everybody have an opinion. You know, Scotty had an opinion about Michael, and I think he's the GOAT. I don't think Patrick the GOAT or the Sinners. Uh, you know, not even top 10 players that still is a GOAT. But my thing with Patrick is, I was just saying, you know, if you're IQ for basketball, that if you watch films, you go back, and the way that I was watching the highlight of the day, and this one, my thing I was saying, like, when Akeem got double team, we was in the finals, he always, he threw the ball out to a rookie. My thing with Patrick, I didn't think he trusts us enough because he always shot, and when he got double team, he still shot the ball. And when you shoot out double team, that means, you don't trust the players, or you're you're a little selfish. But my thing is, yeah, he played hard, but not hard as I think he played in Georgetown. I mean, that's my opinions about him. So if he have an opinion about me, it's okay. I have no problem with that. You always said it like it was, but uh, with 
with Patrick in particular, would you tell him when you were playing, like, hey, man, we're open. You got options. Oh, yeah, you didn't have, have to double. Well, you know, Patrick, then he get a little moody. Get, you know, he's, Patrick was a – it wasn't an easy guy to play with, first of all. Everybody in the city know the – that's why the management offered him a D-League job. Um, he he, he should have been more of a big brother to everybody, but he wasn't. So I think to win a championship, you have to go through adversity. He never wanted to challenge that. And you think about Kobe, Mike, LeBron, Magic, Burt, they all went through adversity. I mean, you went through, if you're a beat writer in New York, you know what I'm talking about because he never gave nobody nothing to write about. <laughs> so it's part of his basketball game too. Right. Uh, Jeter was the same way. Uh, never really said much, you know, but they won championships. <laughs> Um, here's here's uh, Pat Riley uh, talking about why he always kept you on the court late. Cut 40. We need him on the court to win. I made a huge mistake last year. <laughs> you know, when everybody talks about, you know, what happened in game five, probably the biggest thing that happened is that he was sitting on the bench in the last uh, 25 seconds of that game. And uh, so I've tried to make a commitment to myself to keep him, Patrick, on the court regardless of what's going on in the fourth quarter. So it was from 1994-95. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, he made two mistakes, the Reggie Miller mistake and the Charles Smith mistake. So I'm glad he, uh, he, you know, he manned up about it. But that's what I was talking about, adjustment. I, t- I talk about this in my book. I mean, I don't just talk about Patrick. It's, you know, it's just more, it's more in life that when you're around people, everybody got something you can talk about when you don't win a championship. They might can talk about, I ain't getting enough rebounds. But when you see... When you when you see that you know they they Pat right admit that that mean a lot to me because and that's what I was talking about. We had team meetings and we always have stuff that you know team meetings you open it up and they're like da 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 this and that. But I don't think you know from a coach's standpoint that they didn't enforce Patrick to pass out the post enough like you see some you know guys that well if you double team you should reverse the ball. You know everybody think I'm 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 blasting Patrick but because of that no. Just I'm gonna think that when you have a chance to win a championship and your best player, you know, like Joe Burrow, I mean, even though he lost Sunday, but you know he got the it factor. He got the it factor. And you know, them type of guys who put team he put that team on his back this year, Cincinnati. He didn't win it, but you can see that he got them there. And you know, had a chance to win. We went down to the last what minute and what five, you know, five seconds, sure. twenty five seconds. No, I no, I hear you, uh, and and we just I just saw so many great players. It seems to me, Charles, you're the expert, but basketball's changed no. so much since you played. I mean, they they do they there's not the physicality anymore. There's there's really no big men dominating, uh, and that was the big attraction with Shaq and Akimo Ijuan and Pat and Patrick Ewing and Alonzo Mourning and you on the uh, power. There was a much more physicality of it. Do you like it better when you played, or would you like to play in this era? I think I can play both areas, but that's that's a big question. That's a big debate these days because the younger guys be saying if they turn and start competing, you know, start comparing us to the eighties and nineties. We don't play that. We play sexy. So it's a global league. I hate to get into it with the younger guys. I mean, it is what it is. We had no tattoos. They got all the tattoos. We didn't shoot a lot of threes. They shoot a lot a lot of threes. We made free throws. They missed a lot of free throws. So it is here and there. So however you want it. You know, you you want to go to the movies or you want to go to Netflix. So it's everything has changed since back in the 80s and 90s. So, yeah, the games is kind of hard to watch sometimes. You know, they don't take responsible, you know, turnovers and free throws. And I think that's important. Them possessing, you know, four or five turnovers in the fourth quarter and miss five, six free throws, that wouldn't happen in the 80s and 90s because if you couldn't shoot free throws, you didn't play the last three minutes of the game. <laughs> 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Charles Oakley, my, my guest. Charles, another time we cross paths, I got the word Charles Oakley's opening up a car wash. And I go, great. Yeah. I go, is he going to be available for interviews? And I go, yeah. So I get in the car with my shooter. I go down there. And you were washing cars. You didn't want anything to do with the press. You're like, I got a business to run. So Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the hard work in me. You know, work comes first. But my thing about I always gave the press, you know, an interview. I might have just said that, let me watch these cars. But I never turned y'all away. That's true. So this one incident comes. So people, uh, by the way, if you love basketball, love sports, you will love this book. Frank Isola is a great writer, uh, and he wrote the book with you, and he, he was your beat writer. He got banned from MSG, I think, too, uh, by the Knicks. So James Dolan throws you out of uh, Madison Square Garden. Everyone saw the scene. It's part of the reason which I believe the word is that a lot of superstar players don't want to go to New York because you are so respected around the league and the way he treated you. Here is here is how it sounded. Cut forty four. Charles Oakley is involved in something. They need security in a big way. Security is there. Oakley now being taken off. And this is an ugly thing to see about a guy who played here for over ten years. A terrific player. Oakley and the Nick organization have not seen eye to eye recently. Oakley's been very critical about them. Nick organization not happy with that. So it hasn't been a good relationship. Over the last several years, you hear some fans chanting Oakley. He was a beloved player, and Oakley pushing off there, obviously upset at something. So, Charles, they escorted you out of the building. What happened? Yeah, uh, it was crazy. Uh, I, I mean, it just came out of nowhere. It, like, getting hit from a blind side, but I don't know what happened. All I know, I was sitting there ordering some popcorns and um, a Pepsi and talking to the fans. Next thing I know, here come eight guys walking up on me and telling me I had to leave. I'm like, for what? They sort of grabbed on me. My thing, I was trying to protect myself. Number two is, this is so embarrassing for the NBA and the fans to see something like that. This man is consistent over and over. He keeps messing with people, throwing people out, banning people from coming in there. And I played with his dad. It was nothing like this. I don't know. The NBA, they got a problem. He's a problem for the NBA. It's a, my thing is, you're not winning, but you're embarrassing the league. Year after year, you keep embarrassing Lee about something, a ticket, or somebody said something to you. Don't come to the game. It's just skin that thin. Stay home. Yeah, anyone who, who yells at uh, Jimmy Dolan, James Dolan, gets thrown out of the game. And I guess he doesn't like you were critical. They try to throw you out. And the cold ch- crowd starts chanting uh, Oakley because they, they love you at the Garden. Anyone who watches you play just appreciates the way you play. Here's Dolan explaining himself. Cut 45. We need to keep the garden a place that's comfortable and safe for everybody who goes there. Anybody who comes to the garden, whether they've been drinking too much alcohol, they're looking for a fight, they're abusive, disrespectful to the staff and the fans, they're going to be ejected and they're going to be banned. uh, Because everybody has a right to come to that game, to come to those games and enjoy them. And no one has the right mm-hmm. right to take that away from everybody else. What? And in this case, that did happen. We are going to put the ban in place, and hopefully, you know, you know won't be forever. Where does it stand? Where does it stand? Wow. He, he sounds like he he already had a drink, the way he sounds. <laughs> um, where it stands? Stand, stand. It's still the same. In court, um, we're going to let it play out. 
And he's he just over the top. I mean, you sell alcohol, number one, and you're an alcoholic. You shouldn't even be around alcohol because you, you've been to the clinic. And you're calling someone else, like they got a problem. How do you know when someone got an issue, you never have a drink with them? So it's just a lot of BS, and I wish it wouldn't happen because the fans deserve a lot more. And long, like I said, long as that they, this man on the team, ain't no superstar going to come there. You get a lot of B players in free agency, you got to overpaid players. Right. And, you know, they should have signed Lonzo Ball this summer. You know, they needed a guy who can control a team, a guy who was a leader. But they don't want to come. They're yeah. struggling right now. They don't have a leader. They just have a lot of guys, young, who all look at the rim. And until they get somebody to be a leader, they can define guys right. like this New York. And you got to play. They, you know, it's been losing so long. And the fans, just, you know, last year they were so into them. And this year, it's a letdown. How I know. can you go from 10 games over 500, 10 games under 500, and you're paying guys maximum money? And, and think about the ticket prices. The last enforcer, the name of the book. If you love sports, you will love this book. Charles Oakley, it was a pleasure watching you play. Congratulations. I hope it's a huge bestseller. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.